praise you for your, for your protection, for your peace, for your provision, God. We thank you that you're a God that is actively involved in our lives. And so today, God, we want to give you the highest praise, Lord. We want to thank you. We want to glorify you. We praise you over our circumstance, over our lives, over anything that's going on, Lord. We give you the highest praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're at home and you were standing this whole time, you can be seated. Say hello to your family member and say amen to them. <laughs> this, uh, this still feels very, very odd. It just doesn't feel right. Um, it's all wrong, man. Every last bit of it. Um, I will hear you. I will, you will hear me say this continually as we continue to go through this. This is not normal. This is not what God intended uh, from the foundations of the earth. God didn't say one day we're going to separate my church and we're all going to just watch on TV. Uh, that's not what he intended at all. This is a stopgap. This is something that we're just able to do um, for the time being until things get back to normal. Uh, I, I just want to give you guys a heads up that as soon as they say that we can gather in some sort of numbers, we're going to do something um, because I just can't stand this anymore. I just don't think it's right. Uh, I can't wait to be back into fellowship with one another, and I can't wait for us to uh, worship in fellowship with each other. Um, uh, if, you're, if you're online, I want to encourage you to share the Facebook stream. Just click that little share button. It'll start a watch party for you. You can draw other people in. If you're on YouTube, I want you to like this video and I want you to comment on this video because it helps, helps the algorithm. If you're not a subscriber, get on there as well. Um, let's get the gospel out in this season because there's a lot of people that need hope. Amen? Amen. My wife says amen. All right, let's pray over this message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, as, as you have spoken to us by your word, Lord, we pray that you would speak directly to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you're watching with us uh, for the first time today, this is what we do. We go through the Bible. And, and so wherever we're at in the Bible, that's what we talk about. We've been in 2 Samuel for uh, more than a year. And so now we're just continuing through. I think we're going to finish chapter 14 this morning. We'll be in verses 25 through 33. You can follow along with your Bibles. Uh, we're in the New King James Version. It says, Now in all Israel there is no one who has praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut, and when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine, and he has a barley there. Excuse me, he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, look, I sent you saying, come here so that I might send you to the king to say, why have I come from Geshur? 
It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. Now, I don't have time to go into all of the uh, different parts of 2 Samuel. You should have been reading 2 Samuel up to now so that you can understand uh, what the scripture uh, all the players are. Uh, the, the simplest of terms is this, is that Absalom is David's son. Absalom hasn't had contact with his dad because uh, he killed somebody. And so now Absalom wants to come back to dad, David, but he's not coming back to his dad in the correct way. Uh, I, I, if you juxtapose this against like prodigal son, the prodigal son came back uh, very submitted, but Absalom doesn't really come back that way. He kind of puts it on and says, Hey, you know, if he can find anything wrong with me, then that'll be fine. But if not, you know, it's, it's cool. But there's a part of this in the inside of it where Joab is a leader of the army and, and Absalom doesn't go by himself to go talk to his dad, uh, David. He wants to send Joab for him. Joab uh, becomes his errand boy. And so what Absalom does is he, he goes and he sends word. Now, kings and stuff back then, they had messengers or whatever. So he went and he sends word to, uh, to uh, Joab and says, hey, there's something that I want you to do. And Joab is completely ignoring Absalom. Many times, Absalom sending messages is clear. And and Joab isn't responding back. And so Absalom does what any good king would do is that he has to take drastic measures to be able to get Joab's attention. And so what does he do? He tells his guys, he says, you know what? I think that Joab has some barley fields. Why don't you go and burn down his barley fields and then we'll see whether or not he comes back to listen to me after he's been ignoring me after I went and talked to him. And so what does the Absalom guys do? They go and they burn the barley field. And then, and then Joab comes back and goes, hey, did you want to talk to me about something? I know that you burned my barley fields. And then Absalom goes in to talk to him about how he wants to help him get back to David. What are we talking about today? The title of today's message is burn the barley fields. I think we've got a, a, a logo for it, burn the barley fields. And the reason why we, we titled it that this morning is that I believe that the creator of this universe, Father God, King Jesus, at times will be speaking to us and talking to us and trying to get our attention, and we don't listen to him. We ignore him. We don't listen to his word. We don't listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And so God, as a king, in the same way that Absalom did with Joab, he says, you know what? Why don't we burn a barley field and see if we can get their attention? Maybe we'll burn his barley field, her barley field, and then that'll be the, me, the, the means by which I can get their attention. Um, uh, this, this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be talking about barley fields. And so uh, roll with me, stay with me to the end of this message. Um, for many of you, you may have never heard a message like this before, and it's fine. I had neither until I wrote this sermon. So what is a, what is a barley field? What's a barley field? It's a distraction, it's something that you focus on and keeps you from hearing the voice of the Lord. In this story, the barley field is, is a literal barley field, but it's also symbolic in the sense that the reason why Absalom burned the barley field is because that was probably something that Joab was focusing on instead of listening to what the king wanted him to hear. Uh, a barley field is anything that you value above hearing and responding to the voice of the Lord. 
calling you to anything uh, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, God is calling to you. God is talking to you. God is trying to get your attention and he's a gracious, loving God. And he will send messages and messengers time and time again until he gets to the point where he's got to get something out of your life so that he can get into your life. Absalom had every right to call on Joab, but he wasn't listening So what did God do? God burned Joab's field to get his attention. Now I want to show you this uh, in Jeremiah 25, um, because whenever whenever I'm talking about uh, something in the scriptures, I never want you to think that uh, uh, it's only one place in scripture. You want to be able to find it multiple places in scripture. So in Jeremiah 25, we're going to look in uh, verses 3 through 11, talking about Jeremiah It says, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, that is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. And I've spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all of his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them. But you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, repent now, every one of his evil ways and his evil doings, and dwell in the land the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do not provoke provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Verse 7, again, yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, will bring them against the land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing and perpetual desolations." Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Wow. Not listening. Not listening. That was Jeremiah's problem. Jeremiah as a prophet was speaking to the nation of Israel and they were not listening at all. He said it again in Jeremiah 13, 10, these evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their own hearts and walk after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. There's more times in the scriptures where we see God speaking to the people of God and the people of God not listening. And so God has to take drastic measures to get their attention. He burns the barley fields. The first commandment was thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God does not take that lightly. He takes that seriously. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. See, we, we read this stuff and we think of golden calves and Asherah poles and serving a false savior or a false god. But people serve many false gods. A false god. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, friend. A false god is anything that you love more than God. It's anything you trust more than God. It's anything you worship more than God. It's anything that you give more attention than God, that you desire more than God. It's anything that you give allegiance to more than God. America has a problem with false idols. 
America has a problem with not listening to God, without listening to what the Lord is trying to say. I want to talk to you just, just for a moment here. I want to talk to you about some of these false idols. And, and, and some of these are probably going to sting a little bit. And I'm glad. I'm glad they're going to sting a little bit. One of the biggest idols in America is Americanism. Yes. It's one of the biggest idols in America. And it's the identity and protection of our national identity. And I will tell you, and, and, and you guys know many times, I served in the U.S. military six years active duty. I've got a flag in my front yard. I love America, and I love being American. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's wrong to love your country more than Jesus. Yeah. It's wrong to have your loyalty more to your nation than it is to have your loyalty to Jesus. It's an idol. Materialism, the, amass, the amassing of stuff, needless trinkets and consumer purchases. And again, there's, there's nothing wrong with having or liking nice stuff, but to what end? Yeah. An expense that you don't need? Think about this. Notice how much less that you have purchased since you've been under lockdown. How, how much less clothes that you've bought because nobody's going to see you? How much less trinkets that you've bought because you just can't get out to the house and just walk around the mall and look for things to buy? It's materialism. Money and wealth is an idol. And it's that innate focus on how much you do or don't have. And, and, and watch this. People think, well, I don't worship money. But how much do you worry about future purchases? Yeah. How much do you trust in the stock market? I, I've talked to many people during this time, like, oh, man, the market's down. Man, I don't care what the market's doing. They say, oh, gas prices are down. Uh, must mean something. You know what? I don't care what the gas prices do. I'm going to go where God tells me to go and do what God tells me to do. Yeah. If gas is $4 a gallon, I'm paying for it. If it's 50 cents a gallon, I'm paying for it. My life isn't going to change based on the amount of gas. But people put so much faith in that. They say, oh, man, did you see what happened to the, to the market? What are we going to do? I don't know. I'm not buying stocks. I don't care. Yeah. People looking at business trends. What about our national economy? What will we do? That's idol. That's false worship. Yeah. Who do you trust? Do you not trust in the God that can make deserts in the wilderness? Yeah. A God that can uh, or make rivers in the desert? Do you not trust in that God? I do. I trust in him. I know that he's able to do, even in the worst of economies, I believe that God can protect his own people. I really do. I believe that the people of God can flourish in any economy, in any nation, anywhere. Yeah. I truly believe it. Yeah. Now, if that hasn't pricked your heart, let me really get into it. The idol of your family, yeah. the love and protection of family, or the love and support at the expense of the truth of the gospel. Deep desire for intimate love relationships over anything else. The worship of marriage. It's an idol. It's a false god. Sports, professional. And people say, oh, that's easy. Look at those million dollar athletes. But there's people that worship their kids' sports. They worship their kids as athletes. They put that above God. They put their hope in that. They, they want their kids to succeed. They want them to go to college and go to the pros. The idea that a person who is good at a sport has some inherent spiritual value higher than a person in your life is wrong. Yeah. Education. Yeah. That learning is the key. More knowledge, more influence, more power, more money. Yeah. False idol. 
Education becomes a false idol when you think that it's the end-all be-all of your success in this world. Fantasy. Fantasy becomes an idol. And people say, well, you know, I don't play those fantasy video games or board games, but you play fantasy games in your mind. You watch uh, YouTube and movies and TVs where you check out and you, but you hope that you had a different life and you could do different things and you lived a different life. Living in a fantasy world instead of the real world is an idol. The worship of your careers, what your job is, how it becomes your identity to get materialism, money, family, education, and fantasies. And I could go on and on. These are just a few. But these are things that people love above the Lord. And watch this, church. Every single one of those can become a barley field. Every single one of them can become a barley field that you focus on those instead of focusing on the voice of the Lord. And the Lord says, you know what? Let me burn that barley field and maybe I can get your attention. Maybe I I can speak directly to you now because now I've got your attention because this thing that you believed in, that you worshiped, that you wanted, that you desired, and and, and I got to do something to get your attention. And God will do it. He will burn down anything he needs to get our attention. Verse 31, then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire, man? What's going on? If you want to talk to me, just come talk to me. I'm, I'm right here. And Absalom's like, you know what? I did try to talk to you and you ignored me. And some of you are saying that right now. Why has God set my field on fire? What did I do wrong? And I'll tell you, friends, sometimes you didn't do anything wrong. It's not, and I'm not, listen, hear my heart on this. This isn't a retribution. This isn't an act where, where, where God comes and says, well, I'm going to, uh, I had somebody one time that said, you know, if you don't tithe, God will pop your tires. Like, I don't believe that. <laughs> but what I do believe is that if your tire gets popped, it's an opportunity for you to think like, man, is there something that I'm missing in my life? Is there something that I didn't see? God doesn't get you fired from your job just so he'll get your attention. But if you do get fired from your job, that's a barley field that God can use to get your attention. Why does he do it? Because he desires complete allegiance. Hear it very closely, friend. God demands your full submission. It's not a question. It's a demand. God God isn't sheepishly standing in the corner and saying, oh, could you find some time to listen? Uh, If you you have some leftovers, could I get a few? I I just, I wish, I'm begging, please give me some of your time. No, he wants your whole heart and devotion in every area of your life. And as we have submitted to him and we're submitted to his power and submitted to his sovereignty and his influence, it pleases his heart because that's what he wants from us. But just like Joab, we ask, why, why have your servants set my field on fire? Have, have you not read your Bibles? Have you not seen what the word of God says? Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. 
Now, many of you know this about my life. I was raised by a single mom. My, my father was somewhat in my life, but my life has been devoid of a constant father or father figure that disciplined me and chastised me and helped me become a man. There was pockets, there was moments, but my dad hasn't been continually in my life. And so I relish the opportunity to have God uh, discipline me. I look forward to it. I welcome Father God's direction into my life. It's one of the greatest reasons that I dropped to my knees at 15 to become a Christian because I wanted a father. I wanted someone to lead me. I wanted somebody to tell me what to do and how to do it and how to live. And so when God disciplines me, I don't get mad at him. I look at myself and I think, Father, what, what, have, what am I missing? What, what is it that you need to show me so that I can serve you uh, better? I'm not, I'm not upset with God. I'm not mad at God. I look at myself and I say, Lord, how, how have I done you wrong? What did I do that, that necessitated this direction change in my life, this discipline, this chastening? whatever God needs to do in my life I'm open to him doing it I love my kids and that's why I raised them on discipline my kids have been raised on discipline I cared more about who they were going to become more than if I cared if they liked me or not and if you want to know anything about uh, the, the, the parenting plan at Matt and Crystal's house is that we do not tolerate nor do we ever tolerate disobedience and if you're a parent that tolerates disobedience, you're going to produce disobedient children. I promise you. And for us as earthly parents and God being called father and as a, a, a father, is a good father not discipline his children? Yes, of course he does. Proverbs 19, 18, chasten your son while there is hope and do not set your heart on his destruction. I, I never had a heart condition when it came to my children that I was trying to destroy them. Quite the opposite. We, me and Crystal would talk all the time and we would say, you know what, let's not be so hard because we don't want to break their spirit. We don't want to break who they're become, but we're trying to develop something inside of them. We wanted to produce righteousness inside of them. Yeah. And as my kids have gotten older and you see the type of kids they become, people come to me and they say, man, what's the secret? How do, how do you produce these great kids? Discipline. Yeah. It's got to be discipline. Now, the other side of the coin is that we hugged and kissed our kids five times as much as we spanked them. And I believe that God as a father does the same thing. The discipline is, is very intermittent. God doesn't discipline you all day, every day, but you step out of line. He's got to bring you back to where you need to be. I just, I, I don't understand parents that refuse to discipline their children. It's like parents that complain about what their kids wear when their kids don't have jobs. Yeah. Who's buying those clothes? And people say, well, you know, I wish I could do something about it. Sure you can. Buy them burlap sacks and cut holes in the arms and legs and say, here's your wardrobe until you learn to dress correctly. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I can't really change their friends. Sure you can. You don't let them go anywhere. Yeah. Well, I, I, just, I just can't control them. You're failing as a parent. Learn to discipline your children. God can't stand halfway at all. Why do we talk about this? Why? Because we should so desperately want to honor God in every area of our life. I want to honor God in every area of my life. I truly do. But here's what I know about my own life. Here's what I know is that there are still parts of my life, and, and, and if you don't want to listen to a pastor that isn't perfect, you can just check out right now, okay? 
You can just check out right now. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. The reason why I know I'm not perfect because there's dark areas of my heart that are still there, that I, I, I'm through the Holy Spirit and the Word that, that pop up. And I'm like, man, where did that thing come from? Why, why, why is that thing still here? And so I'm just dumb enough to assume that if I feel that way and there's things in my life that aren't perfect, I'm probably not preaching to a perfect church. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not preaching, perfe- I'm probably not preaching <laughs> discipline to a bunch of perfect people. And I'm the only one in the room that still has areas in my life to grow. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to assume that we all have areas in our life that we need to go grow. Places in my heart that need the light of the gospel shined on them. Amen? Yes. Let's get back to this Jeremiah 25 verse. Because in this, we can see some of those indications that show us barley fields that need to be burned. Verse 5, there's no repentance If you've got no repentance in your heart, there's a barley field that needs to be burned. Verse 5 says, repent now, every one of his evil way and his evil doings. Is there disobedience in your life? The disobedience was, it says in verse 5, dwell in the land the Lord has given you. They were not going to the land that God had told them to go to. They were walking in disobedience. The Jeremiah verse says to, to go after other gods and serve them and worship them. Is there idolatry in your heart? a barley field. Do not provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. That's disregard for God's holiness and deaf ears. You have not listened to me. And that's the heart. It's a heart that doesn't even care that we've wronged God and turned our backs on him and hold his, uh, hold him to demands of our hearts. When we don't even listen, we sin and we don't give it any mind whatsoever. We walk in disobedience, expecting blessings. We worship false gods with no regard and we treat God as a common thing. And then we don't listen. Yeah. And God says, you know what? I love you enough to burn a barley field to get your attention because I need to speak to you. I mean, what is he to do? He must get our attention somehow. We, we, we asked for it. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, I fell on my knees before God and I said, God, here's my life. This is everything about me. I give you my heart, my mind, my soul. Everything that I have is yours and I will do your will. Whatever it takes, God, lead me. Yeah. I fully submitted to the Lord. Yeah. Now, being human over the last 30 years, there's been moments, sometimes daily, where I begin to walk in disobedience and God says, you know what, Matt, I'm going to hold you to your word. I'm bound by my word. You will be bound to your word. And so you asked me to discipline you and chastise you if you got along in the wrong way. And so I'm going to do you a favor and I'm going to help you. I'm going to get your attention. What is he to do? I mean, let's be honest. We're a drunk, drug addicted, porn watching populace in America. We have turned our backs on God. Taxes on gambling, alcohol, and cigarettes generate $85 billion a year. Pornography, the pornography industry has a net worth of $97 billion. Porn makes more money in a year than Major League Baseball, NFL, and NBA combined. Someone is feeding that. It may not be the Christians, but we live in this nation Since 1970, there's been 46 million abortions in America. Over 600,000 abortions last year. 
And God's hope is simple. Turn to me. Come to me. I burned your barley field to get to you. Now, God is not the author of COVID, but he sure can use it and our situation to burn some fields. And so what does he do? He destroys. He has every right to do this by whatever means he deems necessary with or without our agreement, however he wants. And then, and I, and I never, uh, again, I don't get upset. I don't get upset with the Lord and people will use, and some, I know some people that are watching this and people that have heard people say this, they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to serve a God that kills people in a hurricane. Really? But you're dumb enough to give them your tax dollars to live in the path of one. How does that work? Like there's no, like nobody lives in the States where nothing happens. How come we don't just all collectively go to South Dakota, North Dakota, uh, Wyoming and, and Montana? There's nothing happening there, but we want to live in the path of tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and then get upset and say, God killed people. God didn't kill anybody. We're the ones that went and chose to live there. We amass ourselves in these cities and things happen. And then we say, well, God, why did you do this? We did it. It was our own. You want to worship God? You've got to get close to him. And if, and, and if there's something that, that is in your life that needs to be burned down and taken away, God will do that to get your attention. You want to worship sports? Burned. Closed. You want to worship your jobs? Laid off. You want to worship your family? Sick. You want to worship your money? Market tanked. Jeremiah 25, 12, then it will come to pass when the 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Ezekiel 13, 14, so I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so its foundation will be uncovered. It will fall and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And, and, and listen, man, I'm the first one to say the understanding the destruction of God, it's hard. It's, it's hard to understand, but it's very clear in the Bible that God destroys things from, generation, from Genesis to Revelation. Yet there's times where God's patience comes to the point where he says, you know what? I've got to do whatever it takes to get your attention. I mean, this is the same God that flooded the earth. I mean, you, you decorate your kids' nurseries with Noah's Ark stuff and forget the story of Noah's Ark is that God was done dealing with man. Now, he made a promise and said he would never do that again, but God didn't make a promise to say, do you know what? I'm willing to, to let some destruction happen so that people will fall to their knees. Yeah. It's not out of his character, man. God has the ability to destroy. Yeah. This is the God of the Passover and the God of the plagues. And then we say, well, why would God do that? Why? Because he desires holiness and righteousness from his people. I mean, and, and you may be watching this and you say, man, well, I haven't turned my back on God. And praise God that you haven't. I'm glad that you haven't turned your back on God. But collectively, you've got to agree with me that you and I live in a nation that has collectively turned their backs on God. Yes. We live in a nation that is godless. Yes. And so we might suffer the effects of God's judgment upon this, upon this nation. Yes. And it's sad that we're collateral damage in some respects and, 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 and God protects his people. And sometimes you just get caught by the wave. But collectively, we cannot say that America is a nation collectively that worships God and lives by the precepts of the Bible. We just can't. It's not true. But what should a burning of a field produce? It should produce obedience. 
Verse 33, so Joab went to the king and told him, the barley field may not have had to be burned. Had Joab been obedient, Absalom would have left it. If Absalom would have just called to Joab and Joab would have came, he wouldn't have had to have burned the barley field. It's, a, it's so interesting to watch uh, how, how people are dealing with all of this stuff that's going on. Some of the most godless people that I know want to be obedient to the state, but they refuse to be obedient to God. Yeah. I mean, to the T. They're like, oh man, you got to wear this and you can't do this. And I'm fully submitted to whatever the government tells me to do. And all God's submission plan is worship me, forgive people, love people, love me. And they're like, I don't want to submit to God. I don't, I don't want to live a, a, a moral life that comes to the government and the state. I'm like, well, I'll fully submit to the government, but I won't fully submit to God. Yeah. Submission to God is so easy. All he wants is all of you. And he wants you to be a loving, caring, forgiving person. He's not even asking you to do difficult things except swallow your pride and make your life not about you. But Joab didn't uh, get it right away, but it got his attention and it turned into obedience. It's comforting in Psalm 118, 18, it says, the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. (laughs) Praise God. God will do whatever he needs to do to get our attention. And going through with the Holy Ghost typically doesn't produce death, just pain. And for many people, the pain is too much, but I am imploring you today to submit to and embrace the pain of whatever chastisement or discipline the Lord brings into your life. I mean, read read your Bibles, Romans 5, 3 and 5. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Going through whatever you're going through can and will produce a deep abiding character if you embrace it. If you embrace it, if you go to God and you say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know if you're the author. I don't know how this happened in my life, God. But if you can teach me something through this, Father, teach me. Burn that barley field because I I don't want anything to keep me from hearing your voice. I don't want anything to keep me from hearing your word. And I get it, friend. These are tough times. Money is low. Social isolation. The future is unclear and unsure. But you know what? And this is from me to you, from Matt to you. I'm good with it. I'm good with it, man. I've already seen a greater sense of love and community in my neighborhood. People are nicer. People are calmer. People are more patient. They're more engaging. There's already a benefit that I've seen. I mean, Crystal and I will go for walks uh, with our kids through the neighborhoods. And, and there's people that literally we've, we've seen before that have never talked to us before that are in their yards and like, how are you doing? Yeah. What's going on with you? And, I, and, and again, you look at all the pain and misery that we're going through, but, but what it's producing is something great. Yeah. The time that we're able to spend with our families is great. The, the, the fact that we're reaching out to people and we're caring about people and we're helping people with food and money and all these other things that, that we finally got this collective mindset of like, you know what? There's more to life than what we were doing before. Yes. We don't need to go to the movies. We don't need to go watch sports. We don't need to go shopping. We don't need any of those other things. It's not that important. And as time wears on, they become less and less important. Yeah. They just do. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah. That's big picture. But specifically in your heart, what's your barley field? What's your distraction? 
What does God need to burn to get your attention? And when he does, will it produce obedience? And if you've had a barley field burned, either by God or by circumstance, what are you going to do with it? Let me, let me be honest for a minute because I've been lying up to this point. <laughs> you are watching right now, Facebook, YouTube, or whatever. And this is so odd, okay? I'm a real person, Matt Crachunas, flesh and blood, okay? And I'm going to be, I'm gonna be uh, emotionally vulnerable with you. And if you use it against me, as I always say, I will stick my thumb in your eye. But I just want to be honest, man. This last five weeks, I think this is the last five weeks, being, being a pastor and, and what I do is central to my identity because it's, it's a different job than anything else that, that you can do. And that my job is 24-7, 365. I, I'm a pastor at Costco. I'm a pastor at home. I'm a pastor online. I never escape that identity. And, and I'll be honest, one of the biggest things that I've missed with being a pastor is being able to preach to a live crowd. And I, I'm just being honest, man. Like over the last five weeks of not being able to preach to a live crowd, I've really been reflecting on it. And, and I've been talking to the Lord about it. Because I'll tell you, man, whether you are preaching or whether you're just talking, when you preach in front of a live crowd, there's a rush, man. There is. Like, I, I can't lie. Like, it's, it's fun to say a joke and everybody laughs. Like, inside, you're like, ha, ha, ha. They laughed on that one. Like, it's, it, it feels good when you preach and, and people give you responses back. It does. It's human. And during this time, I've got none of that. <laughs> I'm literally preaching to an empty room. My wife and Pastor Todd and, and, and the tech team. And they, and they give me a few bones, but it, it still leaves you wanting. It really does. And so what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me and what God has been speaking to me directly, my barley field that God spoke to me, he says, Matt, who are you preaching for? Who are you preaching for? Are you preaching for the adoration of them? Are you preaching for feedback from them? Will you still do what I've called you to do? Will you still preach what I've asked you to preach when it's to an empty room? Yeah. And it's tore me up, man. Because in these moments, you think like, oh, I'm good. And I'm doing it for the right reasons and the right motives. And God's like, you know what? I didn't do all this just to get to you. But since it's happening and you're before me, what barley fields in your heart, Matt? What barley field do you need burned down? Because I'm trying to talk to you. I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to use you to speak to my people. And if you're too worried about what they think, and you're too worried about what they're going to say, I can't speak to them through you. I'm going to burn that barley field. Oh, it's been hard. But you know what? What I'm learning is that like even today, man, I was like, I want to preach an encouraging message. And God's like, barley fields. Like, God, well, what if they turn off the message in the middle? Barley fields, preach it. Yeah. All right, man. I don't know if you're going to come back this week because you weren't here this week. <laughs> I don't know at all. But God, if you've got to burn that barley field in my heart, let, let just do it. Yeah. Refine me. I want to be the man, the husband, and the pastor that you desire Amen. for you. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
Friend, my recommendation, recommendation for you is to listen closely to the Lord and live in obedience. Don't let there be a barley field that needs to be burned to get your attention. Live in his grace and in his favor. And if a barley field gets burned in your life, recognize it, drop to your knees in submission and repent and say, God, you've got my attention. What is it that you want to speak to me? Because now I'm listening. We serve a loving, gracious God that desires to give you bread and not stones. He will use whatever means necessary to get your attention. And sometimes he burns a barley field. And if and when he does it for your good, it's never the first step. It's always the last because he's been trying to get your attention. Embrace it. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Friend, you may suffer when a field burns, but on the other side, I promise you, it's going to produce something in you. Let God burn those barley fields and be obedient to him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you are here watching us online and you are not a Christian, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we always want to make an invitation for you to give your life to Jesus. And it's really quite easy. Uh, you, if you are not a Christian, it's because you have not turned your heart towards God. You are in love with your sin. The Bible says that you need to turn away from your sin and turn towards God. That Christ will forgive you of that sin so that you can live for him and you're not going to live for your sin and perform those sins any longer. You're going to live for Jesus and he's going to forgive you of your sins. The Bible declares that you will live forever with him, that you'll experience life more abundantly. And if you've never made that decision before, I want you to just raise your hands to the heaven and say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I want to live for you. Teach me and guide me through your word and he will become real to you. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, would you send us an email? Would you throw us a message on Facebook or YouTube and let us know that you became a Christian today because we'd love to know you. Uh, let's close with a word of prayer. And then after, after we close with prayer, I want to encourage you, if you're local, we've got bread down here. It's uh, about 11.15. We're only going to be here till 12 o'clock. So we're going to be here for the next 45 minutes. Uh, get, your, uh, get your shoes on and come down. Even if you're not getting a loaf of bread. We, we, last week we had like 25 extra loaves. People said, well, I don't need it. Just come down and get a loaf, man. And if you don't need it, come down and say hi. Just drive through and say hi. What? Bring it to your neighbors. Yeah, you can bring it to your neighbors because uh, we bring bread to our neighbors too. So uh, just come down, fellowship for a minute. Uh, stay in your cars and we'll toss a loaf through the window. All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this word, Lord, and we pray that uh, we would always remember that we are to be fully submitted to you, God. We commit that whatever you need to do to get our attention, God, do what you will, and we will listen, we'll walk in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll see you on Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Take care. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.
Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Captive every thought In that day